I've got a question for you, and it's not just for the younger ones in our midst, it's for all of you. The question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I know you've all heard that question before, usually when you're younger. Uh, I had various answers to the question myself as I was growing up. I, at times, envisioned being a baseball player one day. Um, I, I thought I might be a chiropractor. I, believe it or not, chiropractor was on my list of things to be. Um, at times, I imagined myself following sort of the, the path that my, my father took and diving into sort of the, the tech world and uh, making a difference there. As I got older, I began to imagine myself as a college or seminary professor, um, but you'll, you'll notice nowhere in there was the word pastor ever in the equation. Uh, in fact, that was the one thing I told God and others that I would never do. So you get a little sense of God's you know, sense of humor and way of doing things. Um, but ideally, the answer to the question of what do you want to be when you grow up, when you ask someone that, you, you anticipate and expect the answer to the question to fall along the lines of being something great. We want to be something great when we grow up. We want to make a difference. We want to do something that achieves excellence, perhaps in an area of passion that we have. We want to contribute to the greater good of the human race. And I know for many of you, that was, that was your dream when you, were, when you were younger. In 2019, there was a survey that asked this same question to uh, a number of 8 to 12-year-olds um, in honor of the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong being the first man to walk on the moon. And the answer might come to you as a bit of a disappointment. You see, the top choice among kids in the U.S. and the U.K. was not, you know, a great athlete or a scholar or a doctor or a firefighter. No, the top answer among the young people in the U.S. and the U.K. of what they wanted to be when they grew up was vlogger slash YouTuber. It's true. <laughs> now, in China... The answer was astronaut, but not our kids. Now, our kids, the highest they think they can aspire to is to spend their time making videos of themselves in hopes of being social media influencers. Now, listen, that, that's not all bad, all right? And, and let's not be hard on our, our younger people. It's very easy to be young on, on hard, hard on young people when they don't say and do things like we think they should. Remember, you were once a young person, and you, you said and did some silly things as well. Really, the, the focus should be on, on the parents and challenging the parents to, to raise kids to aspire to be more than you know, someone who stands in front of a, a camera for a living. And I recognize the tremendous amount of hypocrisy of standing in front of a camera as I'm doing my job. But, um, but look, it's not, it's not a terrible thing because Jesus does have in mind for his disciples to be influencers. It's just of a different kind than what kids typically, typically think of when they think of influencers. It's not the kind that sets their mind and their hearts and commits their lives and their energy to the things of the world. No, it is the kind that commits to an enterprise bigger than ourselves. It's the kind of influencer that embodies and lives out the values of a kingdom that comes from a greater place than the kingdoms of the world. So this morning, as we dive into our new sermon series, a, a three-part series that looks at the impacts that Christians are to have on human society, I want to begin by turning to a, a very familiar passage here in Matthew chapter 5. 
Um, you know this passage almost certainly all of you have heard it at least some point in your life. You probably remember at least part of it because it's so simple and, and memorable. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you grab the guest Bible, we're going to be on page 774. Just a few verses here where Jesus teaches about salt and light. He says in verse 13, you, that is my, his disciples, the, the followers of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Or its saltness. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, if you don't remember where exactly this little passage fits within the larger life and ministry of Jesus, it it occurred early in his ministry, and it it was a part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, these are the very first verses that we get following that famous Beatitude section, that section that, that really describes the essential character of those who follow Jesus. So if you said, Pastor Sean, where in the Bible can, can I go to see a picture painted of the character of a disciple of Jesus? Not a physical picture. The disciples of Jesus take on all shapes and colors and sizes from all parts of the world. But in terms of the character, the values, what constitutes sort of the, the heart and life of someone who follows after Jesus, where can I go to find that? And I would say, we'll go to the Beatitudes. Those verses there will will give that, will paint that picture for you. And this passage here is the very next thing that Jesus had to say in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus offers these two very basic metaphors, symbols that everyone in here can relate to and understand to indicate the influence that you and I are to have as followers of Christ in the world for good. Salt and light. Now everyone in here knows what salt is and light are, and everyone in here uses salt and light. They are essential, indispensable household commodities. The need for light is plainly obvious. I mean, without the light, we'd we'd all be sitting here in darkness, and it would be creepy and weird, and you would be like, I'm never going back to that church because who worships? We worship in the dark one time a year, and that is on Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, whichever day we end up having our Tenebrae service. We, we do it once a year, and it's for a particular reason, as we talk about Jesus, the light of the world, who gave his life and went into a tomb. But the whole point of that is to bring us, bring the highlight back to the fact on Easter, he rose again, and the light of the world, it shines. Okay, that's, that's the only time we're ever in darkness together. We, we need light, we know we need light, and, and in case you were wondering, you know, how, how many people need light, well, just everyone pull out your cell phone and take a look at the back of your cell phone. Every cell phone has a light built into it. That's how essential light is to life. Salt, on the other hand, has a variety of uses, and you know these things. These aren't anything new for you, but salt has a variety of uses beyond just seasoning our food. By the way, bland food that is lacking seasoning is disgusting. We need salt in our food to give it flavor. But, you know, for, for other people particularly in places in the world today and throughout most of human history where there was no such thing as access to electricity or 
um, refrigeration. Salt is an essential uh, thing to prevent decay. You know, you take a piece of meat, and if you properly cure that piece of meat, it should last you a very long time because salt arrests the process of decay. And so as we begin to think about these very basic metaphors, we can already see the, the very simple truths that Jesus is trying to present to his followers. The, the basic truth is this. The world is in a state of moral decay. And if you don't think that is true about the world that you live in, you are completely blind and deaf and ignorant to the world that you live in. We live in a world of accelerating moral decay. The world is marked by moral decay, and it is marked by spiritual blindness, darkness. And the world needs the influence of the church to hinder the, de- the decay and to dispel the darkness. It's the basic truths that Jesus is trying to convey to those who would follow him. And we're going to take a couple of minutes to look at these metaphors more closely. Salt of the earth. Now, God's people, you and I, are to be agents of influence at every level of human society. The effect of the salt, however, that we are to be is conditional. All right, it's conditional. It must retain its saltness. Now, how does, how does salt become not so salty? Well, salt in itself is a pretty stable thing. It's a pretty stable compound. It tends to hold itself together. It doesn't fall apart like other things in nature. So how does salt lose its saltness? Well, it loses its saltness first by contamination. If salt becomes contaminated, not only does it cease to be useful, salt can even become dangerous. And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, a Christian's saltness is all about being distinct from the world in, in, in the, within the boundary lines of the Beatitudes. This is how you are different. This is what sets you apart. This is how you are distinct from the world. And if you cease to be to, to, if your life is not described by this, this, this description, this very Christ-like caricature, then you lose your flavor. You and I are to be the flavor of Jesus to the world. By our lives, people are, are to taste and to see that the Lord is good. But if we look and think and act no differently than the world, if we lose our saltness by becoming contaminated by the moral decay that characterizes society, well, then we cease to be what we're called to be. See, our influence as Christians rests not on our resemblance of, but on our distinctiveness from the world. And that is an aspect of the, of the Christian life in, in contemporary churches in America that I think is, is missing. How are we distinct from the world? Is there any difference whatsoever between those out there and us in here? I'm not suggesting extraction from the world. That's never in the mind and heart of Jesus. And and a lot of Christians miss this by thinking being different means being separate. And physically, we remove ourselves from society. We find a nice little place where we can huddle up and be be Christians in the security and the safety of the confines of the, the, the abbey, and the rest of the world can just rot and fall apart, but we're, we're abstracted from it. That was never in the mind and heart of God. No, it's not abstraction, abs, extraction or abstraction from the world, but it's living according to the values of heaven in the world. And you miss this, and your influence becomes worthless. Jesus said it himself. 
There in verse 13, the second half of verse 13, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? If you become contaminated and corrupted by the world, if you, if you extract yourself out of the world, what good is your saltness? It's gone. You've lost it. And as he says there in verse 13, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. There are many people today in churches just like this one who claim the name of Jesus, who claim the title Christian, and yet they are worthless to the cause of Christ's kingdom. May it not be true of us. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, you might recall, you probably don't, because you probably don't remember what I preached two weeks ago, but that's okay. I don't hold that against you. Sometimes I forget what I preached two weeks ago. But back in March, when we were working our way through the Gospel of John, and we were looking at the I Am statements, you might recall that Jesus made a claim about himself, saying, I am the light of the world. I think you remember that. And if you don't remember the sermon, you at least remember that Jesus said that about himself. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that he, and he alone, is uniquely able to reveal and expose the truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. Right? That Jesus, as the light of the world, has that power to reveal and expose who God is and who we are. As God's personal saving presence and action, Jesus imparts the knowledge of God, but he also imparts the very life and power of God to sinners. Remember, it was in the context of, of the one who was, who was healing the blindness of a man. He doesn't just have the power to reveal and expose the, the problem the man had. No, he was the one who was able to shed literal physical light upon his eyes. He transformed him. He healed him. He made him something different than he was before. The one who opens the eyes of the blind has the power to illuminate not only the darkness that we are in, but the darkness that we are. You might remember Paul in Ephesians 5, 8 says, at one time you were darkness. Not just in darkness, which you were, and I, you and I, at one time in life, we were in darkness. But more than that, Paul says, no, no, no. Darkness did not just describe and characterize the, the atmosphere you were in or the world around you. The darkness described and characterized you. You were darkness in your death and in your imprisonment to sin. But now, Paul says, not just you're not in darkness. No, he says now you are light in the Lord. You are light. In other words, the effect of receiving the Jesus, the light that Jesus shines is that you and I become the very light that Jesus is. That which characterizes and describes him is that which becomes, comes to characterize and describe who we are. His life becomes our life. And the shining that he refers to here includes every outward, visible expression of our life in him. Every single manifestation of his light, of his life, both in and through us. Including words, yes, but also good works that express our faith and our loyalty to God. Yes, we, we do these things to show that we belong to God, that, that he is ours, that, that hell has lost another one, like the kids just saying ago. That, that hell has lost another one, I am free, I am his, but also words and deeds that express love for others. It's not just our loyalty to him. It's our care for those other people in the world. We are to be a city, Jesus says, not set in a valley, 
but on a hill. A lamp on a stand that gives light to everything around it. Not one that's hid under a basket. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, flight, listen to this, this is a good one. Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. I hope already the Holy Spirit is is bringing clarity and conviction, if necessary, to your own heart. As you consider how salty, (laughs) how light-giving your life is. If you're, if you're trying to disappear, evaporate into, into invisibility, if you're trying to conceal or hide for whatever reason, well then, you are denying the call that Jesus has placed upon your life when he called you to follow him. And that is something that is as important today to, to keep in mind as Christians as ever before as we seek to be influencers for the kingdom. To follow Jesus is to be an influencer. It is essential It is inherent to the call to be his disciple. There is no disciple who who is a disciple in hiding. Now, don't confuse that with certain places in the world where the church has to to operate in a way that that prevents it from being persecuted and destroyed by an evil government. I'm talking about in your life, are you ashamed of the gospel or are you proud of what God has done in your life? Are you willing to speak up for Jesus? Are you willing to live out a life marked by the Beatitudes for his glory and for his sake, both transformed by and unashamed of the gospel? Are you living an open life that is defined by the Beatitudes that brings glory to God? So those are the the basic things that Jesus is saying here, but I want to take the rest of my time up here to talk about three points of basic application. All right, so if you're a note taker, you have, maybe you haven't been taking notes yet, or you're getting, you want to. I've got three, the lovely, every sermon has to have three points, right, Robert? Robert learned that in his training. You have to have three points in a sermon. Two, two is not enough, and four is too many. Uh, sometimes mine have six, and Pastor Jeff holds me accountable there, and I have to go back and uh, repent of having too many points. All right, so three, three points of application here. Number one, there is a fundamental difference between the church and the world. There is a fundamental difference. You see, in in the teachings here, it is very clear. There is the earth in the world, and then there is salt and light. They are not the same thing. You are to be in the world, but you do not belong to the world. You do not belong to this world. You are not of this world. You belong to a greater kingdom. Your life is to be marked by a different set of values. You you are to take salt and light into the world. But you are not of the world. And unfortunately, too many Christians are indistinguishable from the world. But to Jesus, the difference is to be as stark as the difference is from darkness and light. It's a very stark difference. It's not sort of a fuzzy, shadowy middle ground. You are either darkness or you are light to Jesus. John Stott, I love this quote. He says, we are to be as different as chalk is from cheese. (laughs) Chalk 
and cheese. I think he chose those two things because they both started with CH, but they could not be more different from one another. You are to be that different from the world. And my question for you is you're sitting here listening to, yes, my words, but I pray that you're listening to the Spirit speak directly to your life and bringing application directly to your life. The question I want you to ponder in that sort of in this, in this moment here is how different is your life from the lives of the people in the world around you? How different is it? How distinct is your worldview from your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? How different is your belief system? How radically alternative are your values, your perspectives, your attitudes, your behavior? If there was a a lineup of sorts and you were invited to come up and stand among a group of people who, who who do not belong to God, and, and you were being evaluated, not according to your clothes, those external things. Uh, too, too many holiness peoples have, have defined, you know, salt and light and godliness, you know, by those external things that, that are not the, the main issue. No, if your life, your heart, your motives, your attitudes, your words and your deeds, what you believe, what you cherish, what you hope for, if that was put on display compared to the world around you, would you be any different? Would you be distinguishable? Or have you spent your life speaking words that sound Christian-y, but really being no different whatsoever? Conformed to the ways of the world. Valuing the things of the world. Pursuing the, the pursuits of the world around you. What has marked your life as different from them? Is it marked by a tasteless conformity to the values and customs of sinful society or is it marked by the distinct beautiful flavor of Christ you and I are called to be different which leads us to point number two for you note takers you and I must live out this difference in every aspect of life in other words, it's not something you compartmentalize. Salt and light are not just things you do in certain situations. No, salt and light are to define what and who you are in every sphere of influence you find yourself in. And I want to ask you, as you're sort of reflecting and you're evaluating your own heart and life, I want to ask you this morning, what are some of the reasons that you might fail to do that? What are some of the, the barriers between you being salt and light in every sphere of influence of your life? What's standing in the way? Well, for many of us, it's, it's a common thing. It's fear. We're afraid. We're embarrassed to be different. It's hard to be different at times. Now, not when you're being different with other people who are being different and you're all actually the same. <laughs> it's easy to be different here. What about out there? We're afraid to be different, aren't we? But listen, in the economy of God, fear is the opposite of faith. It is not doubt that is the opposite of faith. Mary Mary had doubts, but she never lacked faith. No, the opposite of faith in the economy of God is fear. You can't claim to have faith in Jesus and then be afraid to live that faith out in the world. 
Jesus said some pretty harsh things in Luke chapter 9. He said in verse 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, and that, that does not mean shame like associated with, with guilt and sin. No, shame, ashamed meaning embarrassed by. Afraid of being, you know, called out in a negative way. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Tough words. I hope it challenges you in your fear this morning. How about lack of interest or concern in the plight or the affairs of others? Listen, you can't be salt and light. You can't be the salt and light that Jesus has called you to be if you care nothing about decay and darkness. Apathy, a lack of concern, is a major barrier to saltness and light in the people of God. And it comes with very grave consequences. If you have your Bible and you want to, flip over to chapter 25 of Matthew. It's going to be on the screen. But if you want to look in your Bible, turn over to chapter 25. I'm not going to read a lot, but I do want to read this passage here from the, 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 uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. You may be familiar with this. I'm just going to read part of it beginning there in verse 41. He says, this is talking about when, when, when the Lord returns and he begins dividing people. One to his right and one, one group to his left. He says in verse 41, The king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. And you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked. And you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison. And you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Listen, you and I are called, something essential to our calling as the disciples of Jesus, to care and to care for others. It is not optional. It is not something that belongs to the the certain committee or ministry team of the church to do all the caring. You are to care and to care for. And eternity hangs in the balance. Fear, apathy, How about when we seek to do things for our own glory instead of his? (laughs) What's the goal of the Christian life you're living? What is the goal? What is the purpose behind your saltness or your light? The, 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 The actions of the Christian life that you engage in week by week. What is your purpose behind it? You know, for some, it's not about God at all. It's about themselves. 
It's possible to say the right things. It's possible to do the right things. It's possible to be engaged in all the social, you know, social activities of, of feeding and clothing and, and caring and visiting and doing. It's possible to do all those things, but with the sole purpose of promoting yourself. Talk about contamination of saltness and light. You want to taint your saltness? You want to put a bushel over the light? A basket over the light? Well, guess what? Inject self in everything you do. Because nothing does it more than that. When you make things about yourself, your influence diminishes. Your worth in the economy of God's kingdom that is breaking into this world is, is diminished when it's all about you. It's not about you. And too many of us do the social things and we do the nice things and we do the charitable things and we give and we do it, but we want people to see us do it, don't we? And I know Jesus is talking about doing things that the world sees, but I'm talking about the intent of the heart. What is the purpose of the heart when you engage in the stuff and when you give the things and you do the things? Is it so people see you? So you can feel good about yourself? Oh man, I'm a good Christian. Man, no one else went to Kairos, but I went to Kairos. And I hope the photographer got me in some of those pictures so people back home can see me. I hope people saw me down at Souls because I feel really good about myself when I, when I feed the homeless and I want people to, you know, think highly of me. You know, I, I waited an extra moment there at the stop sign by McDonald's so people could definitely see I gave that homeless guy not a, a one but a five. By the way, if you see that guy or others there, don't give him cash. Go to McDonald's and buy him a meal. It takes extra 30 seconds. But I promise you, feeding their bodies will do more for them than giving them cash, most likely. What is the, the, the driving force behind your saltness and light? Is it you? Or is it him? Are you going to let your influence be tainted by self? Well, that's the way the world operates, isn't it? People who congratulate themselves. They get in front of cameras and microphones and they go on and on about, they, they, they give credit to God, whatever that means, but then they live all of their lives bringing attention to themselves. That's the way the world operates. Listen, the scriptures are clear. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Let God transform you into something different altogether. You and I are called to be like Christ. To be those in whom the truth and love of God himself is enfleshed and shared with the world. Yes, you and I have to work hard and be engaged in the business of arresting the spread of evil gone rampant in our society. And absolutely the church... the. the the United States of America needs the church to wake up and be an arresting agent of evil. But we also need to be spending our lives in such a way to not just arrest the, the spread of evil, but to see darkness transformed into light. To see people who are dead brought back to life. It's not just enough to, to call out evil and to, to you know, denounce it. You and I have to invest ourselves in seeing it transformed into something beautiful and good. Not just at a ballot box or in the, the arena of public opinion. And by the way, we have to be there. I'm, not, I'm never political from this 
platform in the sense of picking sides or endorsing candidates. And I never will, because I don't think that's my job as your pastor. But I will be political in telling you, you have to be involved in the political arena at some level. You have to be, your influence has to be felt there as a Christian. It's not the total answer, and that's a flaw of a lot of Christians. They think if I just vote the right person in, then everything will be okay. And I'll tell you, no, that is not the answer. But it's part of the answer. It's part. You have to be active. You have to be engaged. You have to be involved. You have to influence as a Christian with values of a kingdom from another world greater than our own. But not just at the ballot box, not just in the area of public discourse. You and I have to work to arrest the spread of evil and also see lives transformed from darkness to light in our community, in, in our neighborhoods, on the, the, the teams our kids are playing soccer, at our family get-togethers, whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever your sphere of influence is, you are to be all about Christ in you for the sake of the world at all times. Stop compartmentalizing your Christian life. It's easy to be salt and light here. It's hard to be it there. And you are called to be it in all times and places. Which brings us finally to the third point. And I recognize the time is getting late here, so hopefully this, this will be quick. Salt and light effect when they are spent. Salt and light effect, or have their effect. I guess affect would be the verb. Salt and light have their effect when they are spent. What good, <laughs> this is the most obvious thing that I'll say this morning, and yet it's a thing I know I need to hear as much, if not more than you. What good is salt that's kept in its container? What good is light that is placed beneath a basket? Can anybody tell me anything good that comes from that? No, listen. Salt. Salt must be rubbed into meat. Meat that would otherwise decay and spoil. Light. The property of light is to radiate. The question is, are you willing to let your life be rubbed into the decay and the death of those around you? To touch, to be exposed to, to enter into the lives of the lost and the dying. Are you willing to let your life radiate? to go out into the darkness that it might be dispelled. Listen, following Jesus always means penetrating the world. And it also means to be spent and used like him. Yes, it means being courageous and outspoken in our condemnation of evil. I hope that you find courage in the power of the Holy Spirit to be courageous and outspoken in our condemnation of evil. Listen, salt in a wound can be painful. <laughs> Light 
that immediately comes on in the darkness can be blinding. There, there, should be a, there should be at some level in your life, in the things you say and that you do for the glory of God, to be something in your life that bites. There, sh- there, there should be a, a sharp, almost harshness at times. Not in a sinful, self-centered, you know, hateful way. But in a, in a way that, that is truth in love to the world. The world has to feel the sting of truth in you. So yes, penetrating the world, being spent and used like Jesus means being courageous and outspoken in our condemnation of evil, but it also means being champions of what is good and true, not just in word, but in deed, as we give ourselves away in love. Oh, that's what, is there any clearer picture of someone denouncing evil, but giving themselves away in love than in the cross of Jesus? who allowed himself to be spent. Listen, that type of life, that brings salvation in life to the world. And that's what you and I are called to. To penetrate and give our lives away in love. Denouncing evil, calling it what it is, working to eradicate it, but only ever with the greater good in mind of people people that are of incalculable worth to God who gave his son that he might save and redeem and restore them to the uttermost. I guess in short, you could say one of our favorite Christian cliches, hate the sin. I challenge you to hate sin. I wish more Christians hated sin. Hate sin. Love the sinner. I wish there were more Christians that did that too. Jesus' lesson here is simple and clear. The Beatitudes tell us that those who embody the values of the kingdom will be blessed. But those who are blessed must be agents of change in the world for the glory of God. Church, be salt and light. Be the influencers that he has called you to be. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the challenge of your word that calls us to be more than what we were and more than what we would even aspire to be. Lord, the, the, the question at the beginning was not meant to be cute. It wasn't a joke. What do we desire to be and then intend to be? What do we purpose and engage our energies to be in this world? Is it something superficial? Is it something of minimal consequence? Is it something small? Is it something that others in the world aspire to as well? Or is it to be about your business? To be used by you to affect real, lasting change that lasts for eternity? To be engaged in an enterprise that brings glory to you. Lord, expand our, our perspectives here today. Help us to overcome the fear and the anxieties and the apathy and the sin that holds us back from being all that you've called us to be. Let us so receive you that we become like you and that you live your life and do your ministry through us wherever you call us to be. Lord, that will bring glory to you and that will change the world. 
Help us to, to desire and to put effort into penetrating the decay and darkness around us and being spent and used just like you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.